today's episode. It's a controversial shark shield device. Well, maybe it won't be so controversial after you listen to Lindsay Lyon from Ocean Guardian today talk all about the Shark Shield and its efficacy for Spiros. I get a ton of engagement from the new Spiro community on Instagram and Facebook. And I just want to thank all you guys for your questions. I try to represent them as best I can. I didn't make mention of every person that submitted a question because there were quite a few common questions that got got asked and I've kind of summarized it. It's a really good, robust discussion today with Lindsay. Really appreciated him taking the time and energy to explain things and address the legitimate concerns that people had and the questions that they had about the device. Obviously, uh, they've experienced some supply chain disruption with COVID stuff, but um, he's a really cool guy. I really enjoyed this chat. So, but hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome to the New Sphere Podcast. My name's Shrek, aka, well, my name's Isaac, aka Shrek, but anyway, um, today's episode, I really enjoyed it. Before we get into today's episode, I want to make mention, uh, someone submitted a noob story at noobspirit.com. It's a three-meter wobby story from Benny. Hang around to the back end of today's episode to listen to, to Benny's frightful, uh, very similar tale to the three-meter flatty. Uh, thanks, Benny, for that. That'll be on the back end of today's episode. I do enjoy a little bit of satire, so hang around and have a listen to that. Um, so, oh, also, Scott left a review for 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing on Amazon for the book. He said, short, easy read, written in a friendly tone with links to other resources. Lots of reference to taking a freediving course. Would be nice to have some details in there about what that might include or techniques. Uh, not a lot of technical knowledge in this book. I would have liked to see some pictures or more sketches, but I like how to rig a float. Still, a great place to start, and this sport seems to be pretty dangerous, so maybe a book can only take you so far. But um, it was a good review. It was There was some critical info in there as well, but um, always good things to remember in the future for the books that we have in the pipelines. Talking about books in the pipelines, 99 Spare Recipes well underway. More than 140 recipes were submitted from the spearfishing community. It's basically... Uh, recipes to help you get beyond your comfort zone and start just getting out of those two to three recipes that we slam over and over again and expand your horizons. That book should be up on Kickstarter in November. So hang around and listen out for that. Um, also, a quick review for the podcast. Tommy says, uh, oh, this is on podchaser.com forward slash noobspiro. I'd love it if you left a review there. He says, as good as it gets, if you're a spiro of any level or just interested in the waterman woman lifestyle, then Shrek will have you engaged for hours on end, full of amazing actionable tips and loads of hefty conversations on ethics, attitudes, and my personal favorite, how to look after the ocean and your dive buddies. So we all get to enjoy this lifestyle for generations to come. Keep up the good work, Shrek. We appreciate you. Thanks, Tommy. I really appreciate it. Red Dog, a serious note here. Uh, send me a PM on Insta. Said, hey guys, I'm a bit lost for words at the moment, but I'm sure you've heard about my best mate, Sean Daly, aka Frother. He's, he went missing in Indo and the searches are still continuing, but chances are getting pretty slim for him. I just wanted to ask you if you could make special mention for him in your next podcast and emphasize the importance of diving with a buddy. I tried to tell him a few weeks ago, but couldn't get through to him. I just don't want anyone else to end up in the same spot. It's, it's been a shit year for the sport. Cheers, heaps. So, um, yeah, really sorry for you, Red Dog. And, uh, yeah, I think the, sh- the search for Sean's still ongoing. There's a GoFundMe up there. If you have a look for Sean Daly Spiro and get involved in that. Uh, heavy note to head into this interview with Lindsay Lyon from Shark Shield. It's a cracker interview. Thank you for the engagement. Noob Spiro community on Facebook is an absolute phenomenal place if you have questions uh, and you want to ask those silly questions somewhere. And uh, remember to hang around for that voicemail at the end of today's episode. Here we go. Lindsay Lyon. 
2001, Adreno was a tiny hole-in-the-wall shop and it was near impossible to get spearfishing equipment in Australia. Without Adreno, many people would never have discovered the joy of spearfishing. To continue their legacy, they've created a highly effective 101 basic spearfishing series for free that you can check out on the Adreno YouTube channel. Adreno may be bigger now, but it's still a company that's focused on helping people discover the spearfishing experience for themselves. Check out the Adreno YouTube channel for plenty of awesome vids to help you on your spearing journey. Are you a US-based diver? Great news. Today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, have got a deal for you. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. Equipment you can rely on, solid gear that works. Even when you get all limp biscuit on it, you'll struggle to break stuff. Well, good day, Noob Spirit community. I'm joined by Lindsay Lyon today, Ocean Guardian. The uh, makers of Shark Shield. What's the deal with the name? What, uh, you guys just used, used to be Shark Shield, didn't you? That's a very good question. Um, look, the reason we changed the name from Shark Shield to Ocean Guardian is that the company's been around for about 20 years. This technology was first developed uh, in the late 80s, 90s by the KwaZulu Natal Shark Board in South Africa. And a couple of di Australian divers got the rights to the technology worldwide, and that's how the company ended up in Australia and the technology developed from there. But what happened was that it's the only technology in the world that works and is proven to work by scientific peer-reviewed published research, so independent research. And so what happens, though, is over the years, other companies would enter the product category uh, with products that did not work. And what was happening was the media was referring to the whole category as shark shield, so like Band-Aid or Kleenex or Xerox. Oh, yeah. And so what happened was our brand was becoming generic and lost in this quagmire of snake oil, frankly. And so what we did is we changed the name to Ocean Guardian, so the company is Ocean Guardian, and then Shark Shield technology is the technology that's been proven to work. And we've, it's kind of like, you know, Intel inside, NutraSuite. That, that's kind of the direction we've gone. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. Well, welcome. Welcome to the show. I, I no, ambushed thank you very I much am... for that long explanation I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's all good. I ambushed you with a tough one straight off the bat. And in, in, in a sea of snake oil, as you mentioned it, uh, Shark Shield does stand head and shoulders above. That's why I've, I've invited you on the show. Um, I've had Andre Redakuda on the show a couple of times. He uh, works for Terra Australis, which, uh, which did some interesting testing videos and comparisons on um, the various shark deterrent measures. Um, did, did you guys have any funding in that? I mean, can you just give me a bit of an, uh, uh, just a bit of an understanding of what, what that, how, how that arrangement happened? Yeah, Andre's a really lovely guy. Uh, crazy uh, with yeah. where he dives, I have to say. They call him Sea um, Monkey. Oh man, I've seen him, uh, I've seen him dive in bait balls up on the northwest of Western Australia you know, while sharks are just ploughing into the bait ball and he's swimming around in it. Yeah. Um, so, look, in answer to the question, uh, they went, Terra Stralis, you know, were a, a film company trying to build a brand and a reputation for themselves. And so they went off and did all that testing on their own uh, with the EDS and the, uh, the shark bands and the Ocean Guardian Freedom 7 product, which is the main diving product. Uh, we did engage uh, Andre and Terra Stralis on the surfboard product 
to capture some video. So the ones that you're familiar with, the diving product where they did a product comparison, they did that off their own bat and we had nothing to do with it. Um, but there's another video you can see on our YouTube channel that uh, those guys did for me. And what they did was they put our surfboard product right next to the bait ball I was just talking about. And literally, he got a drone above it with some bait hanging from below the board. And we set it up with a remote control. So when all the sharks were close to the bait ball and around the board, he flipped it on. And he got this drone footage of the sharks fleeing like a bunch of tadpoles. It's really cool video. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super cool video. So that went from what? So the the the, the product was inactive and then you've turned it on and, and then the, it's had an impact, immediate impact on the behaviour. Yeah, right? Correct. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool. yeah. They don't like it. No. So I hear. Uh, my community had a number of questions. I got, I sort of uh, sent out the question on Noob Spirit on Instagram, the Noob Spirit community on Facebook, and I was quite surprised at how much engagement these posts got. A lot of people were very curious about Shark Shield. So let's talk about shark sensory apparatus and how they perceive the world. I've talked with a few different people, so I have a limited understanding, you know, in terms of how they see things. Um, the ampulla of Lorenzini seems to be one of their primary sensory apparatus. Is that all that the Shark Shield um, or the Ocean Guardian product works on? Is that all it's interfering with or educate me, please? Yeah, sure. Look, it's good. You know, it's, 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 um, there's a couple of things to say here. Um, Look, sharks have got the same senses that humans have got and the rest of, you know, the animal kingdom are pretty well got, uh, you know, sight, sound and smell. They've also got this lateral line thing that, to be honest, from what I've read, you know, not, not a lot is known about it. It's kind of like how geese and birds figure out the magnetic field of the earth and use it to navigate. Um, and then they've got these little gel-filled sacs in their snout called ampulla of Lorenzini. Um, and these little electrical receptors, they use that at very close rates. So in the first instance, in answer to your question, I would suspect their auditory systems, sound, so sound waves, movement in the water is their, their most keen sense. And then it would probably come, and, and I'm not a biologist, by the way, and then it would come down to uh, smell, most likely, the ability to scent and track from smell. Uh, sight is pretty limited depending on the species, but it's a relatively, you know, short mid-range sense. Is it true that, that – I don't want to interrupt you, but is it true they only see in black and white? Yes, that is correct. They actually don't see in black and white. They see in green and black. Uh, so it's actually – that they are colourblind, um, and they – whereas humans have got these three cones and we can see multiple colours, uh, they absolutely have only two cones, and it's a kind of a green and a black, so – yeah, they have limited sight in that capacity. Okay. And so the ampule of Lorenzini is used, or the electrical receptors are used at super short range, right? So there's a myth. It's it, There's a myth that depends where you are in the world, but certainly, for example, in the southwest of Australia, in the Margaret River surfing region, it's, it's very strong there, and I don't know why. But there's a myth that these uh, shark shields attract the sharks and then repel the sharks. And, and I can tell you, you know, as an electronic engineer and having looked at all the research, it's, it's absolutely zero chance of that. It's very hard to transmit an electrical field underwater because of the, the volume of the water, the, the water mass. It just, you know, it breaks it down very quickly. Um, and second to that, every single piece of independent scientific research, there is zero difference 
with the number of sharks turning up to the bait with the device on or the bait uh, with the device off. So that's a complete myth that that occurs. So these various exercises in attempting to scientifically test and measure the efficacy of the device, um, the impact it has on the environment around it. I I did see some um, peer-reviewed literature from the University of WA. Can you expand on who else has um, um, contributed to this research and what actually has been done? Yeah, sure. And, and look, you know, just to finish on those sensors too, by the way, um, you know, these electrical receptors, they can sense down to like, you know, five nanovolts. So if you've seen a, like a crayfish swim across the top of the ocean and then dig down and find a crab, that's how they found the crab. The electrical field coming off the crab, every living creature gives off an electric field. We are basically electric systems, you know, so our brains run on electrical impulses to drive the the system. So uh, the Western Australian University uh, was a good piece of research. What they did was they took the diving product that we're talking about most used by Spiros, the Freedom 7, they stuck a piece of bait in the middle of the electrical field. Uh, They had 322 encounters by 43 different great white sharks And with the device turned on, only one shark bumped the bait. So pretty good. I mean, you know, you've got to realise, you know, to test the device properly, you've got to put it in a pretty tough environment. And actually, in fairness, it's a Spiro environment because you've speared a fish, it's wiggling around and bleeding, and you're saying to the shark, come in and have a crack. We are ringing the dinner bell, 100%. (laughs) Pretty much. And so that test is a good one. All the testing has to be done in that environment to attract the sharks in. So pretty solid. I'll tell you another really good one that you might not have read, 2012 by Flinders University, Charlie Hooven is, and this answers a really good question. What he did in one of the tests, he did a seal decoy. You know where they tow that little rubber seal across the top? In South Africa, the white shark comes up and does a breach. Yeah. Um, So they did that. They did 186 toes with the Freedom 7 underneath the seal decoy, half on, half off. With it off, he had 16 breaches where the shark broke the the water coming up to attack and 27 interactions, meaning it, you know, got to the seal decoy. Near misses or, yep. With the shark shield technology on, they had zero breaches and only two interactions with the seal decoy. If you think about that, that's a white shark coming from depth at pace. Well, that was actually one of the questions I had from the audience. Uh, Brett asked me, you know, will it, what, what will it do to a great white approaching from depth and will it, will it slow it down or stop? Because, like, we just talked about the range. Like, uh, the range is very limited, isn't it? What, what right. is the effective field and, and how far, because you've said, like, there's an urban legend that the device could potentially bring in sharks from further afield. How how far is its effective range and then how far beyond that is it actually being able to be detected um, by by sharks and other um, creatures with this um, electrical detention uh, detection sort of... Yeah, electrical receptors. So, look, sharks and rays are the only animals in the ocean pretty much that have got electrical receptors. There's some land-based animals in Australia. We've got a platypus and there's various others, but it doesn't affect fish and things like that. Uh, Just with respect to, by the way, if it attracts sharks, if it attracted sharks, 
Every shark fisherman in the world would own one. It'd be a great market for us. <laughs> That's a good point. In answer to the question of how, how large is the field, with the Freedom 7 device, look, it, it's shaped like if you think of a, a, a gridiron ball or a, you know American football oval shape. Uh, it's about four metres wide and about six metres high if you were to visualise what it would look like. The reality is... You know, from the, the from the visual uh, looking at where sharks come in from people over the years and these various tests, the sharks can get really close. You know, if, you, if you've got a bait piece of bait sitting in the middle of the field, you know, five kilo piece of bloody tuna, and you're hungry, you're going to figure out how to get it. So what happens is the shark comes in, gets a shock, and gone, Jesus, what is that? And buggers off, but then goes, well, I'm still pretty hungry. I know something's there and it'll come back and have another look. So when you look closely at the research, they say that the sharks become uh, more familiarised with the electrical field and get closer and closer and closer. They don't necessarily break through, but if you stay there forever, you know, and I'm talking a long time, then, you know, it makes sense. If I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Yeah. You know, and so the answer is they'll get really close before they turn around, turn away, you know, a metre or a metre or two. Uh, that's if they're really keen. But generally speaking, we hear from divers, you know, they'll be 15 feet, 20 feet away, and, and you can see a reaction from them. So it varies. So what is the physiological reaction to it? Does it disrupt their, their, their nervous system? I mean, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these electrical receptors, they are little bits of uh, little, think of them like a, a, a paw, you know, a, like a pimple if you like, and, and it's full of this electrical gel. And so what happens, it's the same as if you're in the dark and I shine a bright light into your eyes, it oversensitizes your eyes and you just close them and turn away. It's very similar to that. You're, you're putting thousands and thousands of times more level on these little gel-filled sacs. In fact, if you look at the videos, you can see their gills quiver. You can see their eyes roll back. It's it's really very visual impact on how much it uh, affects them. Okay, cool. All right, cool. I'm going to start getting in some more of my community's questions. David says, has anyone been bitten wearing one? And then Vic, uh, Victor says, the simple logic is if they don't guarantee users get 0% bitten, then this thing uh, for sure does not work. I ordered one but returned it straight away after I saw their policy. Uh, at least it shows the maker is not 100% co confident with its outcome. Um, he, he thinks it's more of a placebo thing. Um, I mean, uh, there is peer-reviewed <laughs> literature proving him otherwise, and there are there are a few different testing videos on online that are available, but uh, how do you address these concerns? Yeah, I look, it's funny, isn't it, you know, um, if you think of the device correctly as a safety device and the objective of safety device is to reduce risk, you know, and, and the more it can reduce risk, the better, obviously. If you look at seatbelts and airbags in North America and you look at the research, they say that a seatbelt and an airbag has the ability to significantly reduce a serious injury or death by about 45%. Yeah, right. You know, so, and that's your, that's the, the government's data. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I, what I'd encourage people to do is think about it the same as you would wear a motorbike helmet, the same as you'd wear a steel cap safety boot, you know, all of the other things that we do in life to mitigate risk. That's what these devices are. There is no 100% guarantee with any product, device or anything in life, you know. Mm-hmm. It, we, you know, we spend billions of dollars building a space shuttle with the smartest people in the country and it blows up. You know, you can't guarantee. The most common question I get from journos uh, is, oh, would you jump into a, a bunch of sharks feeding on a whale carcass? And the answer is, well, I'm not a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> now, yeah. I've seen people do it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of them are my people, so I won't. Uh... <laughs> yeah. But, you know, look, it, it'd be my luck that I dived in and there'd be a shark there without ampulla of Lorenzini. I mean, we're born blind you know, or born death, there's every possibility that there's a shark in the ocean that it will not affect at all. So, you know, there is no guarantee. I mean, you know, we could offer a money-back guarantee that if you get eaten by a shark, we'll give you your money back, but it's just a bit tricky to claim it. <laughs> um, I guess some of the other issues, uh, I mean, I'm going to get into some of the, the the product stuff in terms of the batteries and the operations later in the discussion. Um, what are some videos that people can go in and have a look? I mean, I mentioned the Terra Australis ones. You've got some videos there on the Ocean Guardian website. Is there any other sort of non-biased testing videos that are out there that you've yeah. seen? Yeah, actually, um, National Geographic for Shark Fest just released a couple of videos that they did that we had nothing to do with the game, similar to the Terra Strata stuff. Uh, there was a program called um, Shark Beach with the actor Chris Hemsworth narrating uh, it. Okay, yep. Um, most of the programs about Chris Hemsworth, you know, with Chris with his shirt off, Chris with his bicep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a lovely guy and all that. Targeting a female but, demographic, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Um, but look, they, they released two videos. One, they released uh, Flinders University, Charlie Huben is testing the surfboard product on white sharks down in um, uh, Neptune Island in South Australia. And then they tested the boat product, which is a very similar design to the Freedom 7. And, and there's some really good quality video in that. Uh, in fact, the surfboard product, they show about four or five great whites coming in to attack the bait, one from below, by the way, uh, and being clearly deterred. So that's a really good one and recent too. Like that was only done, released about a month or two ago. Um, the one that Andre did on the surfboard from the drone, which is on our YouTube channel, that's, a, that's an awesome video because yeah, right. they just look like tadpoles fleeing. So you're saying the shark shield, I mean... Talking about Sparrows before you talked about climbing in on top of a dead whale that's being eaten by sharks. <laughs> Sparrows are generally, uh, we're not really a risk-averse bunch. Correct, um, adventurous for sure. But I, I like your analogy of shark shield possibly being a, a, a deterrent, you know, like a, and a mitigation sort of strategy, which I, I, I try and encourage all Spiros to think more about just analysing risk and applying mitigation strategies, whether it's jumping in off a headland into really big surf or whether, you know, it's it's making sure you've got a buddy with you, particularly if you're starting to push some, uh, some depth, you know, even beyond 10 metres, you know, like 
our biggest safety bit of safety equipment in the ocean is our, is our buddy, you know, and it, and it works with sharks too, you know, because you're more mass, and uh, a shark is obviously going to be more threatened by more people um, with guns between us and them, sort of thing. Uh, but it's great to hear that 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 is the way you sort of um, promote it. Obviously, I can understand what you're saying with it not being 100% reliable. You've mentioned a lot of tests on great white sharks. Danny asks, which species are they effective on? They're definitely not effective on wobbegongs. <laughs> yeah. and, and thank God, not a lot of us have been killed by wobbegongs. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, the answer, the answer is that um, there's really only three sharks that predominantly are of concern to humans, really, I mean, we've been bitten by others and, and people have died by others, but, you know, 96 97% of the fatalities are, uh, are whites, bulls or tigers yep. uh, is the answer. What about hammerheads? Yeah, look, there's not a lot of people have been attacked by hammerheads. They, they work with hammerheads. They yep. work less with um, some of the reef sharks. They work less with grey nurse sharks. I don't know if you have those there. Yeah, we um, do. They definitely don't work as well with wobblegons. Um but with white sharks, bull sharks, and tiger sharks, there's been quite a lot of testing with bull sharks, um, as well as the white. Predominantly, it's been the white because the, I guess, the challenge you've got with when you look at the range of sharks and the range of their jaw sizes, you know, when you get bitten by a reef shark, if it gets you in the right spot, then yes, you're going to die, um, but you're not going to, you know, with a wobbly gone. If you get bitten by a white shark, then, you know, it's usually a pretty big bite. Uh, and there's some big bulls and big tigers as well. Um, so there's been lots of testing on those three species predominantly is the answer. Oceanic uh, white tips uh, and, and reef sharks, particularly in like the Coral Sea and the tropics, um, they're the ones that seem to give us a lot of curry when we're dealing with like dog tooth tuna and stuff like that. Are they effective against them? Yeah, so there's been testing on oceanic white tip and makos. Okay. I was uh, and going to ask effective. about makos as well, yep. Yeah, oceanic white tip and mako, and uh, some of that was done, gee, really early on. If you look on our YouTube channel, you can still see some of that video. That was done in the, uh, gee, early 2000s, I think. And then um, a guy out of New Zealand called Riley Elliott, uh, he also did some testing on makos and white tips as well for one of a program that he did. Okay. So yeah. All right. So there is some uh, there's some evidence out there to prove that it works on on a multitude of species. Bull sharks, in my mind, are probably one of the worst ones we deal with spearfishing. They seem to love. Um, shit visibility, so you don't know they're there, and they they just they come out of nowhere. They ambush predators, and they are a real worry. I think um, out of out of the shark species, I haven't dived with great whites. I've dived with tiger sharks, and they seem I don't know I don't know maybe maybe this is just my anecdotal opinion. They seem a bit more um, easy to to judge sort of their mood in the water, but but bull sharks just are sneaky. So yeah. I had a friend John. He used to wear a shark shield, and he ran it down one of the channels of his fins and he sort of seeker flexed it in there. Um, does that affect the uh, efficacy of the device and um, why Why does he always want to swim in front of me and give me shocks? Because <laughs> he, he cares deeply for you, Isaac. <laughs> it's very common for uh, mates to uh, run the field over the back of their friend's necks. Oh, it's horrible. And you're trying to relax for a dive and stuff and then zzz, and it's yeah. just it's awful. Yeah, it certainly gives you a kick. And the reason he, 
what a lot of people do, um, and look, you know, the Freedom 7's been around for quite a while, um, you know, gee, 12, 15 years maybe. Um, and look, we're, we're a very small company. You know, people might look at the website and think we're some, you know, multinational tens of millions of dollars, and that's not the case. You know, we're a, a quite a small company, you know, four or five employees. We're not a big company. Um, and so I, I think that there's room to improve the way that antenna design comes around and can tap you in the back of the head when you do a duck dive. And so that's why the people are putting it on their fins. We've seen a lot of people, what they do is they'll put a, a small hole in their fin with a very loose cable tie and then thread it through the cable tie to try and keep it, you know, floating along behind you more evenly. Have you thought about partnering or has a, has a fin company approached you to talk about possibly integrating it into their their, their fin design? We haven't been approached, um, but it's worth a consideration with the length of a, um, a fin. Look, the, the efficacy of the product is directly related to the physical size of the electric. So let me just explain how it works because we didn't actually cover that, right? So basically you, all you've got, you've got two stainless steel electrodes and you're pulsing a current between the two. You're alternating it back and forth, but you're running a current between the two, and that's what creates the electrical field. Now, the smaller those stainless steel electrodes in surface area and the closer together they are, then the smaller the field is, meaning the shark will get closer. So if you look at, for example, there was a product that used to fit on your ankle called ESDS, or I think it's now called E-Force or whatever it's called, the electrical fields are about the size of a coin and they're about two inches apart, right? So the maximum size the electrical field could be is about the size of a basketball, right? So if you've got that on your ankle and in your hand you're holding a fish that's wiggling and bleeding, the shark's just going to come to the fish. Yeah, right. Right? If you, if you look at the magnetic product shark bands, it's a magnet. The maximum, it, it's not even powered, right? So I, I don't want to be flippant and say it's a fridge magnet, but, you know, the maximum distance you could measure the electrical field from a shark bands is probably about six centimetres. So the shark could sense it from, say, 20 centimetres, but that's it. Yeah, right. And that's why they don't work in real-world testing where there's an enticement to come in. And so the Freedom 7... If we were to, going just back to your question, if we were to put that on a, a long flipper, we could probably get the electrodes a reasonably distance apart to create a reasonably big field, but I'm just not 100% sure how big it would be. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's the problem. So I've, I've, I've got a, um, you know, we, we designed a product for Spiros, which we, which we don't have on the market yet. It's the yet. handheld one? Someone actually asked me a question here. I'll see if I can find it, actually. I can't. We, we've, we've got some challenges with the design, so we just pulled back for a minute. But the, but the idea of this is there's a small electrode, two small electrodes close to each other, and it kind of operates like a, a handheld taser gun. Yeah. So the, the benefit of the Freedom 7 is it's on all the time. So yeah. back to your comment about a bull shark, if the sucker sneaks up behind me, I, it needs to be on. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
But if but if I'm a little bit nervous about where I'm diving and I don't want to wear Freedom 7 because I don't believe in it or it's going to encumber my diving experience or I don't want the drag or whatever reasons you have, yep. then the idea was, well, you can have an e-spear in a pouch on your hip or on your calf and if a shark did come in to try and take your fish and you were aware of your surroundings and you saw it, then here's your underwater taser to push it away. That was the idea. But the electrical field is pretty small. Okay. Well, at, at Quono1 on Instagram said, um, you must have released it in the past. He says the handheld shark shield was an absolute disaster. They've stopped selling them now, but it had promised a version 2.0. When will that be released and will it undergo testing before release? That's obviously, is he referring to that? Have you have you done a limited release before? Yeah, so what happened, as I said, you know, we're, we're pretty small so we don't have a lot of cash, but what happened was that the middle section, there's three parts to it. There's there's this part here, yeah. you know, the front, and it looks like that. So yeah, right. it's a gun, okay. right? Quite a cool little product. Yeah. And so the re- it's... The reason we have pulled back is the middle section, which is made of plastic and has got the battery and the electronics all encased, for some reason it swells in water. It's plastic, but it swells in water. And so it was jamming. So we've just pulled it back while we figure out how to improve that mechanism. So it's a... a It's a porous plastic that expands with with water. Right. Weird. Yeah, okay. All right. So, so, so yes, we launched it. Yeah. Uh, it is. A, I think it's a great product. I mean. How many of them did you bloody make before you realised you had this fault? Oh, look, we only, only not that many really. Oh, cool. You know, we, we went pretty easy because, yeah. you know, we didn't ship 40,000 and, you know, have to swap them out. And, and by the way, um, it doesn't jam 100% of the time. You know, if you're in the water for an hour or two, then it's fine. And then when you come out of the water, it shrinks back down again. So it, it's not that massive problem, but it's not a problem I want. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to defend you myself here because um, <laughs> we're in a remarkably small industry. Yes. Whether you're creating uh, deterrent devices for all of the underwater world or whether you're just a smearfishing manufacturer, 80, 98% of the companies that exist in our world are tiny. Yes. And we've got these guys and, and and girls that are making products in their garages often, especially when they're starting out. And it's not like Toyota car manufacturing, which, by the way, recalls I, – I don't even – I don't want to um, – <laughs> I don't want to talk too poorly about them and risk a lawsuit. But my point is is that even the big companies stuff up releases and then they get, you know, pulled all the way back into their facility and, and retrofitted and stuff like that. Like yeah. the nature of making anything is sometimes, you know, there's errors slip through the cracks before before it goes to public release. I mean, the other thing is, is like you make something cool. You really want to ship it, you know. But the gap yeah. between designing and manufacturing something in your shed to seeing it for sale on a spearfishing shop counter is just like I've written a couple of books and the, even that process, like relatively simple product, still takes quite a while to hit the shelf. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm defending you there because I can understand the uh, frustration you have. <laughs> no, look, I, Isaac, you, you're spot on, you know, because uh, even, you know, you could go and lecture on Harvard on what you basically said because you're, you're 100% correct. The rule of the game, the rule of the game is, is 80% is good enough. Yeah. You know, we're not Apple. Yeah. You're not Apple. You can't sit there and... Make sure it's absolutely 100% perfect. If it's 80%, ship it and then see what happens. You know, you and learn. You learn because you don't know what you don't know. 
You know, as soon as it's in a consumer's hands, you'll see how they use it. You'll see what breaks, what they want different, and then you fix it. Oldmanblue.com.au. You can't cheat experience. You can't fake passion. And damn, Old Man Blue can make gear that will last and stand the test of time. Check it out at Old Man Blue Dive on Instagram. Hey, Shrek. Jeremy here, man. I'm back. I just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to also say thank you to your listeners for their uh, continued support, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick-ass, and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the latest edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. I fancy myself as being one of those people that's probably more at the early adopter end of uh, the technology spectrum. I don't think I'm quite right at the front, but um, I I do have a level of sympathy towards people that try to make something very cool and bring it immediately to market because particularly if they believe that their product will make a difference. And, I mean, you, you're developing products that mitigate the risk of sharks uh, predating upon human beings, which I think is a, is a very admirable goal. So um, I can understand some of the teething issues that you may have had with some of those products. So version 2.0, though, um, when can we expect it? Again, are you looking to – because I can see that that device that you've shown me, it, it looks awfully like a very small spear gun almost. Like, um, I mean, could you possibly – inter- Because I know you Americans love guns. <laughs> well, can you integrate it into uh, something else? Like, uh, could it – could it um, go along the side of a spear gun or something like that? You yeah. Know, like detachable, something you, like that. You, you could do. Um, I'm not a spearo, um, just to be clear. Do you, do you like spearfishing? Yeah, well, I like eating fish. I'm a surfer. Okay. Yeah, so I, so I um, in fact, broke my brand-new surfboard on the Friday, 1000 bucks. <laughs> um, uh, 2.0 for the e-spears probably, you know, at this stage later this year. But, you know, the, the whole concept of the e-spear, whilst the original innovational idea was targeted at the Spiro, the other market for the product, because as Spiros, you know the risk is super low. Like you're in the high, you're, you're in one of the highest risk areas because you're attracting them in, right? You know, the, the highest risk is actually surfing. They're the, they're the 50% of the fatalities are surfers. But the idea, the other idea I had behind the invention of the e-spear is, Think about all those people swimming around in the Bahamas that will never, ever see a shark in their life anyway, but they want to feel safe. And I thought the e-spear at $299, that's a great market for the product. You know, the James Bond babe coming out of the water with her e-spear. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, even like I did a fair bit of scuba diving. I, mean, I went through to instructor level before I uh, crossed over into free diving and uh really embrace what I'm all about these days. But um, I remember bubbles were such a deterrent to sharks. Like they, they won't come near you. The noise and the, yeah. and, the, and the bubbles just seems to get rid of most sharks. There are exceptions to this though. And um, I mean, is that a market that would also be interested in it, you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there is a bit of research. University of WA did some more research on the bubble. They actually tried to come up with a bubble curtain um, to do it. In fact, we have just released a, you know, just on that larger scale thing, um, we've released a a new shark barrier product. In fact, we're installing one down in the Bahamas at a resort uh, and it can go up to 400 metres across. So it's basically, think of it, 
uh, like a rope across the top of the ocean with some buoys on it and hundreds of Freedom 7s hanging down below it. Okay. So you get an, an, an integrated sort of a network of these electrical fields that hopefully deter them. Yeah, so that's it basically cut, creates an underwater electrical field powered from the shore. Does it interfere with other uh, marine ecosystems and, and animals? No. Um, you know, other animals uh, don't have the electrical receptors, so a lot of people are using a product that we released called the Fisho one um, to try and help people in charter boat fishing so they could create electrical field under the boat to stop predation from sharks taking their catch. Yeah, so, and that's worked pretty well. I mean, there's a bit of jigging around to get it in the right place, depending on where the sharks are hitting the fish. Uh, but no, look, you know, whales, dolphins, turtles, you know, all those sorts of things aren't, aren't affected by it at all. Possibly a bit better than the drum lines. Oh, well, definitely a bit better than the drum lines and the shark. You know, I mean, in New South Wales in Australia on the east coast, um, there are hundreds and hundreds of drum lines and shark nets. We're actually one of the, which is bizarre considering we're kind of a, you know, Western, eco, apparently friendly country. We're one of the only places in the world that are still culling sharks on our beaches. Yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to be a coward here and be pretty agnostic on this, um, but, <laughs> but I, I'm going to represent the opposite view. And I, I think sometimes the governments make the point that you know, like they love to tout that line that you know, on a drum-lined um, shore, no human being has been killed and attacked, and um, mm-hmm. and, and they've got that track record to sort of rest back on. And some spiros and and, I, and and look, I'm not I'm not going to state my views on here because. I, it, I think our community split on this, and uh, and I think rightfully so. But I think there's 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 points on both sides, though. I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think you know how, oh, how many Look, how many sharks. Don't, don't, are, don't worry, Isaac. I'm not an eco warrior. I can assure you by any stretch. Well, a lot of sparrows are, and I mean, yeah. all, all of us are concerned about our environment, and well, we should be. And none of us want to be inhumane. But I mean, if a hundred sharks die for one human to be alive, then a lot of people are happy with that. And um, I put I put a high premium on human life. Um, but but anyway, we we, we are sort of uh, heading off into the weeds. Well, here. my my only comment would be, um, and and once again, you know, I, I don't consider myself an in environmentalist, I consider myself, you know, caring and and worried about the world and interested, obviously. Um, But what I would say is that humans' history with our uh, interfering with the environment has a pretty poor track record. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I... I I'd say we're making we're making progress, and we're um, getting better. Companies like yours are providing, and 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 entrepreneurs and and uh, and business people are creating solutions that are that you know that that solve some of these problems, and 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 rightfully so. Like we're we're the ones you're the what you guys are the ones that are fixing these conservation issues. Not you know sometimes people filling out e petitions online. Well, I, and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. In fact, I'll tell you something. Your listeners won't probably. Have heard of or know, that in Western Australia, uh, over here, in Western Australia, rather than do shark nets and drum lines, they they actually have said the most people at risk are surfers and divers. They represent 70% of the fatalities. How about you take your own personal risk and buy a proven Ocean Guardian shark shield? And I'll tell you what, because they're not, you know, they're not the cheapest product, We'll give you 200 bucks when you buy one. 
So we've sold thousands of products in Western Australia under a government rebate program where the government has said, you're the one going into the ocean, you're the one taking the risk, you take care of yourself. I like that. I like personal responsibility. I, I think yeah. it's uh, admirable that they've um, they've provided that discount for people, particularly that, yeah. you know, like given the peer-reviewed research and stuff like that. Um, I mean, one of the other products that, that, that I've heard about being fairly effective is the shark eyes. Uh, do you have an opinion about this or am I going to get you into murky waters here? No, look, I, I, I'm happy to give an opinion on anything. Right? You ask my friends. <laughs> look, I, if, if you talk with uh, your community um, and, you know, people like Ocean Ramsey or, or these people that do a lot of swimming with sharks and physical interaction with sharks, uh, which I have, um, they'll tell you that looking them in the eyes is is actually the go. In fact, I saw one, I can't find the bloody video again, but I saw one video where they put a diver on the bottom of the seabed and 80% of the time the shark came from behind. And then they put two divers back to back in the same position and it turned out roughly 50-50. Yeah, now, right. how the hell does a shark know the back and front of a human? So, you know, there's some things at play here. So I, I would suggest that I that looking the shark in the eye and keeping eye contact with the shark makes sense to me. And the reason it makes sense is think about it this way. If you're a lion and you're hunting a gazelle or if you're a spider hunting a fly, you don't attack from the front. You attack from behind. The whole element of lowering your risk of dying as a predator is to attack and surprise and not get a fight. So the eyes probably, whether the shark eyes actually work or not, would need to be tested. But does keeping eye contact work? I would suggest it must. As hunters, we kind of um, understand this, at least on an intuitive level as well. Like a lot of our flashes and stuff, the better designed ones um, mimic and have eyes on them, uh, whether it's for flash, you know, like a fad type device, or even when we're down on the bottom and, and, and we're trying to bring arouse like curious fishing, one of the biggest things to do is hide your eyes, you know. And, uh, and so... Like I, I think, why not? Why is it, if it's working in one in one facet, then why isn't it working yeah. in the other? So, I've, yeah. I, but I've heard some good things about it, and uh, we talked briefly about their eyesight. So I did want to ask you that. Um, Simon asks, uh, just change subject here a little bit. He says, "I'm curious as to whether they deter sharks of all sizes. My experience has often seen the bigger shark swim to the bloke wearing it. It's always provided a laugh. Perhaps the new model has improved." I, Oh, well, again, I mean, we could go back to the size of your electrical field. So effectively, like, when, you're, when you've got a, a big bit of bait and a, and a diver's in there, um, where, where are the sharks turning? Like, um, I've got a shark coming in on me from behind. Um, I've, got a, I've got a shark shield um, seven on and it's activated. Where, where, where would I look to or hope that that shark would start to turn off away from me or dramatically change its behaviour because of this electrical field? Well... The answer is it depends on the shark, depends on, you know, what, what their intentions are. So there's a, there's a lot of variables at play. But if you look at any of the video, uh, if they're coming in to just investigate, then they'll turn metres away, you know, three or four metres away. Uh, if they're coming in fast and they're aggressive, then they're going to get really close. And I mean, you know, a metre. And, and the answer to the question of, you know, does it matter the different size of the shark? Um, 
I, I, the University of Western Australia is probably the most uh, detailed research done. They had multiple GoPro cameras and they had heaps and heaps of software to determine the trajectory of the shark, the size of the shark, the speed of the shark, um, but they didn't publish anything that that noted any difference in the size of the animal. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, I think, uh, again, some of my community have asked another question and I'll represent it as best I can. Um, some of them are saying like one person, you, you might be diving in a group of three, like particularly in blue water hunting, it's a, it's one one way we like to dive. You'll have a, a flasher down, one guy's on a big gun, another guy's on a backup gun and you it's a, it's a team-based style hunting because um, quite often you need a second shot and uh, someone does, you know, maybe that they're doing burly or something like that. Um, if one person has the shark shield on, does it increase the risk to the two other divers if they do not have it on? And some people have made some interesting uh, illustrations about this from their own experience. Have you had these conversations before? Many times. Okay. What's, what's yeah. your take on it? Everyone should have an Ocean Guardian on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing I'd say is, is, is one way to look at it, you know, is if, if you all don't want to have one on, because you don't want it dragging over the back of your neck. I mean, I'm very practical about the reality of the world, you know. The one way to think about it is, is, is at least if you've got one, and think about this from a fire drill perspective, if you've got one, at least you've got a muster area. Yeah. You know, at least if there's a, if there's a situation uh, and, and let's say someone does get attacked that doesn't have one, at least you can go and get them. You know, at least you can deter the shark. You know, we've we've had situations where guys have been, uh, people have been attacked, and someone with a shark shield has gone in and pulled them pulled them out of the situation because they've got the shark shield on. Um, so, you know, are you at more risk of not having a seatbelt on when you're sitting next to someone with a seatbelt? Well, obviously <laughs> you are. You know, I don't think. I think the, the big question that people run through their head is if the shark comes in to person A who's got one on and gets deterred, do they go over and have a crack at the other person? Yeah. And, I, you know, and I, like I suppose it's possible, but, you know, the shark's just had a smack in the head. And so unless there's a damn good reason to come back in and have a crack, in other words, you know, a big food enticement, I suspect it's been a benefit to everybody. Yeah, I've never seen a setup. Another thing we use, and you're probably familiar with spearfishing a little bit, is we'll we'll have a big buoy or a float on the surface. Yeah, um, particularly in these blue water hunting setups, maybe there'll be there's often multiple um, floats. I've never really seen a setup where they hung it off it uh, in the middle somewhere, and then at least you had a field in the middle of. I don't know, the shit hit the fan or something like that. People do do it. Yeah. People do do that. I have seen that. In fact, um, I've, I've seen a lot of people put it on their bait bag. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so, you know, after you've caught the fish and you've hooked them on somewhere while you're continuing, they'll leave it there to stop the sharks taking it. We often get our food eaten off the floats and stuff. I mean, that's why we see these cool float boats and things like that where, you know, all the fish go inside and they're out of the water and therefore they pose that they don't pose that enticement to the sharks. But maybe having a shark shield from your catch or, or from that, that area at least uh, yeah, might provide Yeah, I've that. heard of that. That's, that's not that uncommon uh, from what I understand to do that. So don't worry about your personal safety. Just worry about your catch. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Sam asks, what are the long-term effects on of use on humans? If the electromagnetic fields at depth pose a greater risk towards user, um, have they conducted any studies on the impacts of electromagnetic fields on humans at depth? And... Uh, someone else says something like the razor clam divers here have been using uh, electric fields for years, and yeah, they're all a bit nuts, but I haven't seen anything odd happen as a result. Interesting, <laughs> interesting point though. Uh, anything on this? No, look, it's a fair question. I mean, you know, with all the conspiracy theories that people have about, you know, and look, the the, the reality is, if you look at the World Health Organization recommendations on things like mobile phones, you know, don't give them to children because electromagnetic fields interfere with the human body. Uh, and that is true because we are basically water and an electrical field. And the, the, the shark shield electrical wave is not a short wave, um, a short wave shape, if you like, uh, like a microwave or a mobile phone, it's a big signal. And so there's been a lot of independent research done uh, on swine and and what happens with the shark shield electrical fields it travels around the body not through the body okay and so it's actually not penetrating the body and so you know from what the research shows and what the world health organization says the answer is no there wouldn't be a lot of impact and we've had you know we've had um, abalone divers who shell divers who have been using this technology now for, you know, 15, 20 years. Okay, cool. So, and you've heard nothing bad so far. So I thought it was an interesting question. I hadn't even thought about it, to be honest. Um, Frog says, hi, Shrek, can you ask the guys about sharks in the water column? As sharks on the surface seem to be more predatory than sharks in midwater or at the bottom. And uh, anecdotally, I've noticed this as well, um, when they get you'll see them come up sometimes and they the higher they get in the water column, the more aggressive they become. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't seem, I don't understand what his question is, but uh, with you, with all the research you've observed, is that something you'd agree with or what, 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 what do you think? Yeah, look, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you one, you know, not necessarily related to this question, but uh, I did see some research once um, on the, once again, the Freedom 7 dye product uh, on Galapagos sharks. And what they found is if the sharks got themselves into a feeding frenzy, it was definitely not as effective. Yeah. And the reason being is that the, and, and think about it like a pack of wolves or any other uh, pack scenario, when they're competing for food, they're competing with each other and the food's the food. And so they will push through a lot more pain to to get at the food. And so, you know, in answer to the, the water column thing, you know, if there was a situation going back to the, you know, would you jump on a whale carcass, <laughs> um, you know, when sharks are in a bit of a a situation, you know, they are in a frenzy, you know, then that's a dangerous place to be. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mud Skipper Apparel says, uh, I used to use the shark shield both commercially diving and spearfishing, and I would see more sharks with my shark shield on than without. Why is this? Um, is this a question you've had before? Uh, yeah. And yeah, no, it is a question I've had before. And I, look, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe when you don't have it, the sharks are there swimming around, but when you do have it, you, you know, they come around where you can see them. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, the research is quite conclusive 
that there is zero difference whether it's on or off. So I, I don't know the answer to that, but I have heard people say it. I've seen, um, like, I've had a, I've been doing a drift dive before and a bull shark where I was in like probably four or five meters vis. Uh, so we're talking 15 feet, maybe 12 feet of visibility. And every dive, uh, this bull shark would be there. And uh, and it would and it would often be over my shoulder somewhere, and it's probably only two and a half meters. Uh, so what's that in feet? Um, eight feet. And, yeah, yeah. And, but it, this thing just wouldn't go away. It was it was it was it was giving me the shit. So I couldn't relax. Uh, I was only diving pretty shallow, but I saw it over and over again. Every time I'd look at it, I would get a really jerky movement out of it. And I guess one thing I would say, maybe in response to this, is that if the um, Shark shield is having a a, a physical rea- a physiological reaction from the shark. Then it would jerk and move, and you're more inclined to see it. Whereas sometimes, mm. if they're moving slowly and steadily, and they're trying to ambush you or whatever it is they're trying to do, they move quite calmly and steadily. They're not trying. They're trying to be unobserved. I don't mm. know. Um, I just thought about that as I I read his question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Kurt said, I've heard a theory that, uh, oh, no, sorry, this is, we're getting some re- repeat questions here about the electrical field possibly um, attracting um, the sharks rather than, um, than deterring them. Um, beyond that, their effective range with this field, how far away from that is, there, is it able to be detected by the shark? Yeah, look, you know, without trying to confuse myself and everybody else um, that's listening, there's, there's a thing called the inverse square law, and it basically says that for every uh, distance that you move away from the electrical field, um, the square of that distance, it halves the field, so to speak. So if you're, if you're about, I don't know, let, let's just pick a, pick a number. If you're 10 metres away, yep. whatever that is in feet uh, from a shark shield, you, you can't measure it. You cannot measure it, right? So... The shark's amplitude of Lorenzini, the electrical receptors, the maximum distance that they can sense is about 50 centimetres, right? So half a metre, let's say, right? So that's why some of these other products, when they do their videos, you'll see the shark coming really close and then being deterred. That's because, you know, 50 centimetres plus their six centimetres, 56 centimetres. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay. (laughs) So... Um, so it's about the size of the field, and then beyond that, you think their ability to detect it is is, is quite severely zero. limited. Okay, it's zero. And and think about it like if you um, look at some of your underwater uh, communication devices, mm. right? Um, they, they only work within a certain distance, and and then you, you just can't transmit an electrical field any further. Same thing. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's, it's not even that hard. 
I love that feeling underwater when you pull the trigger and you know exactly where that shaft is going. You want something dependable. You want to put that fish that you've been chasing for a lifetime in the boat, in the cooler, in the esky, in the chili bin if you're in New Zealand. Why do we call all these things different names? Anyway, today's show sponsor, KillshotSpearGuns.com, make awesome wooden timber spear guns, a fantastic shooting platform. If you've ever shot a big timber gun, you know the, the reliability that you get from these things. Uh, he mostly makes enclosed track spear guns. Visit him at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Use the code NOOB to save $30 on any Killshot spear gun. What about... um? Does the shark shield itself emit a vibration, which no. could potentially appeal to the lateral line sensors and things like that? Like, like no, okay, no. So there's, okay, so there's zero happening apart from the shark shield, apart from the uh, electromagnetic field. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so and it's a pulse. Yeah. You know, so it is. It's an. It is an electrical. It's pulsing in that sense. So it's you know it's every point six of a second it's going bang. Yeah. Bang, and then each each one is a different polarity. Okay, and what's the you know, variability? So, yeah, that's right. What what is it? What's the variance between the the pulses? Is some of them smaller and some of them larger? Or? No, no, they're all exactly the same oh, okay. side. We just opposite to you know change it up. Okay, cool. All right, um, Jason NSC says, is it possible for? Oh, sorry, from the New Spear community says, is it possible for the Freedom Series or E Spear to aggravate a shark even more, causing unnecessary risk to divers? And um, we have similar questions from other people. Uh, like a shark starts to show interest in you, swims closer, even if you give it a jab with your spear gun. Some sharks seem to become aggravated by that. And, we, and people recommend using body language and other things before you begin, you know, physically trying to interfere with the shark. Could it be the same with the e-spear, I think, is what he's trying to ask. Mm. Uh, I would say yes. You know, if I had to guess, uh, and it is a guess, I reckon that if you start, you know, because these devices are designed to get you out of trouble, not to stay in trouble. And so I reckon if you stayed there, and the shark was super aggressive and you just were sitting there trying to zap it, um, I don't think that's the case with the Freedom 7. I think the case with the Freedom 7, the field is so strong that even an aggressive shark has trouble breaking through, and, and, the, and the research shows they don't, whereas the e-spear, I don't believe that's the case. I think that if you hung around long enough and the shark was pissed off long enough, then you'd be getting yourself into trouble. I mean, I was, there was a video... I don't know where it was. I don't know if it was Australia or the US, but there was a guy on a jet ski attacked by a shark, and that's what they said. Well, if you watch the video, the guy's pestering the shark in these shallow waters with his jet ski, and finally the shark went, Jesus, I don't know what's going on here, but this thing's trying to have a go at me, and it went and bit the jet ski. So, you know, he deserved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If someone did that to a tiger, like, you, you know, You'd have the same answer. Jack says, can I say I personally have owned one. I've seen them work effectively on a 2.5-metre bull shark that charged and made aggressively from behind who was also wearing one, only to, to divert two to three metres from his foot, basically in contact with the antenna. Um, you can also see the shark's body twitch when they come in proximity. Again, I've only tested it on bull sharks as these are the only large sharks I've seen. He says, I can also test that they're a proper pain in the ass to dive with. Um, he says, dangerous and basically useless on coral reefs as they get caught too easily. 
Um, he says, I, I only wear mine blue water, uh, in blue water type spearfishing now. Um, and he's also had a couple of issues with the customer service experience with regards to some warranty stuff uh, and the Sydney lockdown and stuff like that. I, I wanted to talk about how COVID had possibly disrupted your um, supply chain and things like that. But can you comment with regards to his statement that it can be dangerous and basically useless on coral reefs as they get caught too easily? What Have you seen some workarounds? Uh, what customer feedback have you heard with regards to this? Yeah, so there's, so I understand what he's saying. Um, so what we've seen people do is they put a small float on the tail of the device so that it doesn't drag on the coral and sits above it. Uh, and the second part of that goes back to a comment I made earlier about the antenna design with the braid. Um, the braid itself, when it drags on the coral, catches, and that's what he's referring to. And that's what I was saying. I think I think there are some design changes that could be made to improve that aspect of the product, both the, you know, both the um, the buoyancy of it so that it sits, you know, kind of, you know, level in the water, uh, doesn't drag uh, and doesn't catch. And so that, that, I believe, are things we're aware of and design changes are required to improve it. How much... Uh displacement would you need in order to make it float above because the other thing is is like you know like a lot of the time we're trying to be particularly when you're reef hunting you're really trying to get in and camouflage get and blend with the bottom and things sticking up uh are generally a deterrent to you know they just trigger fish's warning systems and they're less likely to come that's why a lot of guys like to use real guns and things like that um but how, how big would the float have to be in order to make the the, the shark shield float enough so well, that it didn't get... it's designed to be negatively buoyant. So if you were swimming along horizontally, it would be dragging below you. It would be trailing below you. So the float, you know, pretty small, you know, an inch or two is, is heaps. Okay. Yeah, pretty small. And what was the second part of that question? There was a... <laughs> I can't even remember now. I just get confused. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I th- I think the the part of the point I was making was is like if it floats too much, basically it'll stop you from concealing yes. yourself. Um, yeah. I mean that's another concern. So it's like I, I don't know if neutral would solve our issues, but if it's getting entangled in reefs, then you definitely don't want it to be negative. Yes, that's right. And so that's the that's the design problem. I think it being negatively buoyant, and I think it being the stainless steel is is got a braid over it, and I, I think that's you know. That's a challenge. Okay, cool. Interesting. Uh, have you seen these micro floats in action? Like holding, uh, like, have you seen one? Uh, what sort of systems have you seen with regards to coping with this? Have you seen some guys use little micro floats? Yeah, they're just like, you know, like the, the fishing floats, like the little bobbing fishing floats. It's mm. just like one of those. Okay. Yeah, people often, when, when you know, someone has a, a faulty unit or a warranty or whatever, they'll send it back with the floats still on it. That's how we've seen them. Okay. Mm. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, Jack also says it sounds like he's he's a bit of a fan, but he's had some issues with customer service with regards to warranty. Uh, he says hoping this is just a issue due to Sydney lockdown and stuff like that. Um, have you had much disruptions with your sp- supply chain due to COVID and stuff? Oh, it's been a disaster. It's been an absolute disaster the last year, year and a half, frankly. Um, and it kind of just kept cascading. So what happened was. COVID started, so, this, you know, in China, so the supply chain got affected 
and that affected our cash flow. And then you, you know, you couldn't get enough money to buy product, and then you got product, and it just kept. It was just a vicious cycle, which unfortunately we're still in. Uh, Sydney, New South Wales has been in lockdown now for about eight or ten weeks, so it's been very disruptive over the whole twelve to eighteen months. Um, and that's affected quite significantly our cash flow and operations. So, look, it has been difficult as a small company to manage that. Um, and as a result, what's happened is if, if someone's had a faulty unit, and maybe we can talk about that. I did think there was a question on that last one about warranty and repair or something. But what we do with the Freedom 7 is because we don't have a repair facility at the present moment, when someone returns a unit that's actually faulty, we offer them what we call a refurbish program, which is effectively a brand new unit. And so people have had to wait for stock to arrive oh, to okay. even get a repair or a warranty. And those delays have been like three months, four months, like huge delays. And so, yes, it's caused a customer satisfaction problem, but one of the things that we are going to implement that the community's been asking a long time for is the ability just to swap the battery out. Yeah. You know, so I've got a just couple to, of questions about that here. Yeah, so the ability to physically service the unit, and this comes back to, to the design of the product, you know, it would be really cool if the product, if the consumer could change the battery somehow. And there's, there's, there's zero chance of that happening today because, you know, you can't trust the consumer to open up a piece of electronics and then seal it again. Well, it's sealed uh, for a marine environment too, so I can understand exactly. not having an easily, like, a designed um, interchangeable battery. That, that, that does make yeah. 100% but, sense. But setting up the ability both in America and Australia for Ocean Guardian to replace batteries uh, and, and service the unit, so rather than, you know, having to get a whole new unit, just replace the, the PCB board or the antenna or the battery. That's absolutely something we're in the process of implementing. Oh, awesome. All right, cool. Hector, uh, Michalopoulos, I'm, I'm going to guess he's Greek. <laughs> he says, just wish I'd come up with this first. Super awesome. Um, Cut Professor, at Cut Professor on Instagram, bloody awesome bloke in California. He says, any modifications or adaptations coming to the product so it doesn't shock the shit out of you? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could figure out a yeah. way to stop it shocking. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, as I said, I, I'm a surfer uh, and I use it on my boards, all my boards. Uh, and what we, what I came up with for surfing, and the eSphere is a little bit like this, is rather than have the, the two big electrodes on the bottom of the surfboard, uh, which zap you when you duck dive. They zap your fingers, <laughs> um, which is really unpleasant. Yeah. Or if you go over some white water or if you try to do a turtle roll on your board, it'll zap your fingers and all that sort of stuff, is I designed what we're calling a shortboard antenna or a mini antenna. Now, I know the electrical field's not as big, so I know that the shark's going to get a lot of closer, but I know that it would still be effective. And so it's all about me psyching myself into going into the surf all the time and keep surfing and keeping me in the water. In fact, um, you know, and this is, this is the thing for your, your community, the diving and the Spiros, you know, I mean, it's a great sport. Being in the ocean is so good for you oh, mentally in every other aspect. And so 
If you've been scared and you're frightened about going into the ocean, then take this technology with you and go back to enjoying the sport you love. Yeah. You know, we've got a program, uh, we've, and, and look, this is the first time I've spoken about it, So, because uh, we don't do any marketing on it and we don't do any PR on it. But there's a, there's, a, there's a group, a Facebook group called The Bike Club, and it's survivors of shark attacks. Uh, and their families, and it's and they've got uh, psychology counselling. They've got all sorts of stuff going on. They call us after a shark attack, and we give away free stuff to them. We never do PR on it. We don't do a press release, and this is the first time I've actually spoken about it. But it's in this conversation, and it's about enabling these people to get their lives back and get back to the sport that they love. You know, I had one guy ring me. I was in China at the manufacturing place, and I won't tell you his name, but he, he pulled in a surfer who had both legs bitten off. He actually dropped his board, swam out, grabbed the guy literally from the jaws of the shark and pulled the guy in trying to resuscitate him. The guy died. Um, but this particular individual, his whole life was surfing, like he had mental health problems anyway, you know. Uh, and this is a, this guy looked like a Russian hitman. I'm not talking about you know some, you know this this is a <laughs> big guy, yeah. you know black belt, you know serious guy. And he rang me and he was in tears because we, and it brings me to tears. You know we we'd given this guy this unit and he said, mate, you've given me my life back. You literally given me my life back. And he was able to go back in the water and go surfing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've chatted with a number of. Um a number of people that have been attacked by sharks now. I mean, it's the nature of the podcast, you know, it's the nature of our sport and the lifestyle that we all seek. But I think mental health is a huge part of and part of the draw to the ocean for, for Absolutely. surfers and spiros. And anything that can get people out there and enjoying it again is a huge thing, you know. Yeah, because the risk is so low, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, the risk is super, super, super low. And all you're trying to do is take that little mental edge off so that you can get in the water and go back to enjoying your sport. Yeah, for sure. And it's effective. It's proven and it's, it's effective. Correct. Love it. What's that group called again? Because I've, I've got people uh, that I will the, refer to it. It's it's a closed group. It's called the Fight Club. Fight uh, Club. Sorry, the Bike Club. Bike Club. B-I-T-E, the Bike Club. And okay. it's run by, um, what's his name? Dave Pearson is the main guy up in New South Wales. I might. Uh, I'm going to keep that in my records. I don't know if I'll link it up in the sh- in the show notes because I don't think they want publicity. But um, what a fantastic! Oh, he's he's awesome, mate. He's Dave. You know, he's managed to get uh, government funding for you know counselling and or at least he, and, and all off the same bat. You know, it's just a community thing. He's done a really good job. Really, really good guy. Bloody awesome! I love to. Hear and him. he's obviously a, he's a shark attack victim himself. He was. Uh, attacked and had his arm all chewed up surfing. Yeah, well, I can only imagine, uh, yeah, like uh, the journey going through that. So it's awesome people have got that support group. Yeah. Guys, head on over to penetratorfins.com. They are proud sponsors of today's Noob Spiro podcast. We're happy to announce a code you can use to save yourself $20 on any blade purchase. That's right, save $20, pump in the code Noob Spiro, check out penetratorfins.com, save yourself some dough on some fins and get yourself some of the best fins going with $25 flat rate international shipping and a full international warranty. Larry's the man. Thanks, Penetrator.
Back to infinite practicalities. Joe, not us. Uh, <laughs> great segue. I'm a very natural interviewer. Uh, Joe, not says, um, ask him about the best way to store them. I'm bloody confused about the lithium batteries. Yeah. Okay. So lithium sucks. Um, and and if you if you leave lithium uncharged for you know years and weeks and months and whatever, it, it doesn't like it. Is the short answer. So. The best thing to do is to keep the device charged at, you know, 30 40%, whatever, um, and then you it, it lasts longer. So lithium batteries normally have a life of about, you know, five or six years, maybe seven, and you'll have that same experience with your phone. Uh, you'll know that your battery life slowly, slowly declines. Having not owned a Shark Shield myself, how do you monitor the level of the battery? Uh, so the device actually has a LED startup sequence. And so what the LED will do is it will tell you how charged it is. So when it starts, it does 10 green flashes. It's a bit fast and tricky to count, but it does 10 flashes, meaning it's 100%, five flashes, 50%. Five years ago, I was going through some old stuff doing a bit of a spring clean and I found a Nokia 3310 in a box. And yeah. uh, I turned it on. It still had a bar of battery in it. <laughs> yeah, I think it had been sitting in that box for about five or six years. Like, uh, yeah, well, those um, the the old nickel uh, was it nickel cadmium battery? I think they were called. Yeah, the early Shark Shields had those. The Freedom Four. Okay, and there's still people out there using those batteries. The Freedom Four. In fact, there were what was one company originally repacking them. And this is, goes back to, you know, we need to be able to. We need to be able to change these batteries for customers. Uh, there's a big movement around the world to make sure that products can be repaired and in service for a lot longer rather than, you know, chucking them away and putting them in landfill or whatever. There's, there's, a, there's very few products that have been designed so specifically for spearfishing safety. Um Shark Shield's one of them with regards to mitigating shark risk. And uh, the other one was the free dive recovery vest, which basically was an auto-inflation uh, vest that a freediving Spiro can put on. And uh, if it detected that you've blacked out, it would auto-inflate and bring wow. you to the surface. That device was up around, uh, I think, the 1300 Australian dollar mark. Now, most people are averse. I mean, we're not a... Like I mentioned earlier, we, we we tolerate high levels of risk in our sport. It's the nature yes. of it. Um, and we're averse to spending money on it. I don't know why sometimes. it's uh, And you've got these tiny manufacturers. I think uh, Terry Mast was the designer of the original Freedive Recovery Vest. And I think that product's just gone by the by, you know, and it's unfortunate because um, these things are expensive. So anything you guys can do to make your product more um, resilient over time, more interchangeable and things like that, I think um, it, it will bring more more and more people onto using them and uh, particularly if we can solve a few of these design concerns. Yep, yep. Jared Nikolsky says, um, I've seen a lot of videos about shark shields and have purchased one to use when my five-year-old comes to dive with me. I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but I'm interested to know if there's anything they have seen that reduces the effectiveness of these units. Um, Storage, no, um, anything like that? Look, the only thing that would reduce the effectiveness is the salinity of the water. Uh, so 
it only works in salt water. It won't work, for example, in your salt water pool. You know, we get people saying, oh, I put it in my salt water pool and it's not working. Well, there's not enough salt in your salt water pool. Um, and so, you know, bull sharks can travel a fair way up the river uh, into fresh water, as it's been recorded. Um, and so that the only thing I can think of that reduces the effectiveness, uh, you know, I'll go back to this conversation, I would say, uh, that example of the Galapagos sharks, so sharks that were in an absolute feeding frenzy and competing with each other aggressively for food, um, I would think salinity in the water. And, and look, that's that's about it. You know, I, I can't think of any other scenario. All right, cool. Dennis uh, com- commented that he says, I know when you uh, accidentally sit on the bottom, it works. Had the bad habit of zapping me. We talked about that before. Ben says, could the technology be improved so it's smaller and the antenna shorter? We talked about that and how it uh, changes the size of the electrical field. So, yes, but it compromises its uh, efficacy perhaps or reduces it for certain. Um, Brian says, uh also, a quick-release clip design would be handy, similar to a leg rope on a surfboard. How does it uh, attach at the moment? And, and I thought it was similar to a surfboard leg rope. Yeah, look, it is. The Freedom 7's got an ankle pouch. Uh, what he might be talking about was we changed the design of the pouch and we left off a little tab to be able to get you your fingers on it to release it quickly, and we've added that back. So maybe that's what he was referring to. There was a period where we would left that tab off where you could easily grab it and release it for whatever reason. Ben also asked uh, about future um, changes and improvements coming smaller and more powerful. We talked about Quano's questions. We've also talked about getting tangled in the coal and rocks. A couple more service delivery questions. Neptonics Worldwide said, um, when will they be back in stock to sell? When when can we expect to see uh, a resumption in your supply chain back to similar pre-COVID levels, I guess is what he's asking. Yeah, so we've got, uh, we've got some stock coming in in October, which clears us up to kind of June, July, uh, and then the next shipment should be about, so look, I'm going to say early December, all going to plan, we'll have full availability back right in the middle of your winter. <laughs> the nice thing about being an entrepreneur is you're always, uh, you know, happy and, uh, and you know, like you always want to see the best and believe the best, but sometimes the nature of, uh, of, of conducting any sort of businesses, there's delays and stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, Yang, Yangtha asks, where can I buy them? Um, so you've got distributors everywhere? Yeah, pretty well. Um, you know, you can you can get them on, I mean, think Amazon even, it's out of stock at the moment. But my preference for the community would be to go to your local dive store, you know, go to your local dive and spearfish and store and support, you know, support the, uh, the local company that, you know, you're getting the rest of your gear from. Most of them stock the product. Uh, and if they don't stock the product, ask them to stock the product and get one and, and we'd be happy to oblige. Andreas by email said, uh, please, could you get some info on where or how to service them? I've had one sitting around for a while now and I wish I could maybe get it serviced before I hit the water. We kind of talked about Andreas's question. Yeah. So, look, go to the website under support. There's a tab called support uh, and there's, a, there's another tab called warranty and repair. There's simply a form there to fill out. And if you're in North America, you send it to the North American uh, facility. If you're in Australia, you send it to the Australian office and we'll have a look at it for you and get back to you and tell you what we can do. Yep. 
Chris had some similar questions, so you've just answered that. Brian asked, um, he w- he would like to know if you are making the unit any more robust in the future, and uh, was there a possibility of extending the warranty? Uh, so we spoke a little bit about design and. You know, we we actually do want to do quite a lot of work on re-engineering and stuff, but, uh, you know, that takes money and time. Yeah, so you can extend the warranty. So when you buy the product, uh, within the first 12 months, you can buy a extended warranty. It'll take it out to three years and it's online. What's the standard warranty? Standard warranty is 12 months. Okay. And then $99 takes you to three years. Okay. All right, cool. Like an insurance, you know, same when you go to Harvey Norman or Walmart or wherever. I think for such a substantial investment, and I understand Spiros, we're pretty rough buggers. Like we uh, we put stuff through its paces, that's for sure. I, so. I tell you what, the, the Spiros in the diving community have a lot better than surfers. Surfers treat their stuff like shit. Spiros in general are better than surfers. Sorry about that. Lindsay. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I had I had one guy send me a picture only this week of his four surfboards with his uh, electrode, which is a, the antenna on the surfboard is like a sticker on the bottom of the board with these super thin stainless steel electrodes, right? Yeah. It's sticker thin. But what happens is with those particular electrodes is they get a bit of tea staining on them. And so, you know, you've got to give him a bit of a clean every now and again. Well, he's not cleaned his in like three years. And so the tea staining's got underneath the plastic and it's all peeled off. And he's going, oh, this has got to be warranty. And I'm going, mate, you know, at what point in time did you look at that and think there was something right or wrong? <laughs> I, I will I add a caveat to my thing that Spiro is better than surfers. The only thing better than than, than that is a, is a surfer who spears and then they're all right, but. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of those actually. <laughs> I know. It's a, I think honestly, like I started off a boogie boarding in New Zealand. You know, like um, we, you know, if you love the water, you love the water above and yeah. below. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they're complementary sports as well. Um, Ocean Guardian, Shark Shield, the company itself. I mean, where are you guys heading? What's happening? Werner asked, um, you guys were going to get listed on the ASX IPO in the uh, 2018, the initial public offering, never eventuated. What's what's going on? What's our future of Ocean Guardian? Yes. Uh, well, 2018, we did consider looking uh, at the ASX and we went down that path, uh, but we aborted the mission um, at the last minute, unfortunately, and we're now in the process of reconsidering that. So it cost us a lot of money to head down that path and it's taken us quite a bit of time to recover from heading down there. And so we now actually have got really fantastic growth I think the result of, um, you know, expanding the product line to try and diversify the risk so we're not just in diving, we've got surfing, we've got boating, we've got fishing, and now we've got the the shark barrier product to, as you point out, you know, Spiro's a very small market. So we've now got a lot of markets that we can address quite easily with finished products. So we're in the middle of a capital raising now uh, with the view of heading into an IPO on the ASX next year. So we would like to still do that. Okay, cool. Well, it's awesome. Um, what's the ultimate vision of Ocean Guardian? Uh, look, I I think the current product range, the, the B2C products, the consumer products, the Freedom 7, the, the surfboard product, the e-spear, the boat product, the fish, I think they're all fine. You know, I don't really think, I think we can tweak with them and improve them, but they're great products. They work they're solid. 
We just need to get the capital to get into production and get them into the marketplace and do more of this where people actually realise they work and that they can use them to enjoy their sport. The next big thing for Ocean Guardian is the shark barrier. If we can actually replace shark nets and drum lines and put these systems in resorts around the world or in protected beaches, I don't think we're ready to put them on surf beaches, but protected beaches, um, and, you know, remove this, you know, shark attack capital of the world brand that Australia has or help Reunion Island or help Florida, help the Bahamas uh, improve tourism and, 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 you know, people can go to the beach and they go, well, of course I'm going to this beach. It's protected by Ocean Guardian. That's the future. Well, it was fantastic to talk to you today, Lindsay, and uh, thanks for answering all my community's questions. I missed a few, but I feel like our conversation contained uh, at least the messages that, that most people had sent in. So thanks for the community for getting involved again. It's Noob Spiro on Instagram if you want to follow along or uh, the Noob Spiro community on Facebook. Lindsay, where can people come and find out a bit more about you and Shark Shield if they are curious? Look, I'd go to the Ocean Guardian website, which is just ocean-guardian.com or .com.au, whichever. Um, and also, you know, use the frequently asked question. There's a little box on the right-hand side and, and, you know, our FAQs are fantastic. So if you've got questions like these, you will find that most of them are in the FAQs. Well, thanks for joining me today, Lindsay. It's been a long time coming. Thank you very much. Greatly appreciate it, Isaac. Cheers, buddy. Hey guys, I hope you had your questions and concerns and uh, maybe learned a bit about the Shark Shield stuff going on. Really big, massive thank you to Lindsay Lyon for joining me. It was a cool episode. I enjoyed it. That was not a paid placement or anything like that. Uh, I very much just wanted them to get on. I knew the community had a lot of questions and so we finally got it done and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Next, in, well, in two weeks, we're headed off to chat with Daniel Semrat from the Oregon Freedive Company. Now, there's a really rad community in that community talking about his name, Semrad, and uh, he's a freediving instructor, very accomplished dude, great attitude, uh, and like I say, like runs a phenomenal shop there in, in Oregon, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we just had that chat recently too, so it's still top of mind. Um, yeah, let's see you back in two weeks. If you love the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash noobspiro. Support us on an episode-by-episode basis, maybe. It will support me to get out on a spearfishing trip like the one I'm headed out on next week with the Adreno team up at the Southern Great Barrier Reef um, doing all sorts of crazy content stuff and filming some stuff. It should be awesome. I'm enjoying uh, getting back in the water and um, it's been a dry spell with some of these lockdowns and stuff that's been going on with COVID. I hope you're getting out there as well and staying safe. All good. That's it for me. Shrek over and out. So just wanted to talk about the dinner bell theory. Well, it's not really theory. It's it's so true. Uh, so the dinner bell being the spear gun going off and the sharks thinking it's dinner time. Uh, this is something that I had heard about but didn't anticipate it in this area. So I'm in a rocky bay, quite a small bay. I've just I've parked the jet ski up in the middle, swum over, which is only about 10 metres, off to the, the side where there's a rock ledge, and I immediately saw a nice – Viz was probably about four or five metres. I saw a really nice blackfish there, probably 30, 40 centimetres, and I thought, yep, I'll have a go at that. And I did and I missed 
just too anxious. I didn't even really breathe up, just sort of jumped in and went, ooh, let's go diving, you know. Um, yeah, completely missed. And out of, the, the, out of nowhere, this wobbegong, probably three metres I'd estimate, I couldn't believe how wide he was. His, his jaws were, were huge. He just straight in looking at the, the edge of the tip. Now, he wasn't... I don't think he really wanted to have a go at me. It was probably more like, oh, buddy, you're about the same size as me and you're eating. Can I eat too? But, mate, so scary. Um, and I just – I never expected it. In uh, I was in probably three metres of water, three-metre wobby on a, a bay where, uh, you know, you'd have noobers – going to spear um, all the time and I just wish I had a buddy with me at the time. I had to swim from the, the side back through the murky water with three to four metres viz back to the jet ski. Uh, that was a pretty quick swim uh, but a controlled one and, yeah, I just just got to get it out there, guys. Like the dinner bell is a thing. You don't know when it's going to happen. Um, I didn't know the area. I travelled from inland New South Wales to go spearfishing at this uh, particular place at Port Stephens, and I'm quite sure that a lot of other guys have been there. That's why the shark knows the dinner bell sound. But, yeah, just something for maybe the noobers to really watch out for. Um, you really want to have your mate with you and, and really <laughs> keep your eyes about you because, man, they swoop in quick. Today's Veterans Vault is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno. Adreno.com.au is a huge range of equipment, from the latest in spear gun technology to the odds and ends that you need, like bungees, booties, and budgie smugglers. Go online to adreno.com.au to read good, honest reviews and to take advantage of Australia-wide flat-rate shipping and a no-hassles returns policy. Don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code and save $20 on every purchase over $200. Adreno.com.au Recently, I brought some new equipment online at today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, and I was super impressed by the quality of the packaging and the before and after sales support. These guys don't muck around. They make awesome, tough, dependable equipment, and their service matches the quality of the equipment they sell. Visit Neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on anything and everything store-wide. If you're shopping in the USA and you spend more than $99, you get free shipping at Neptonics.com. Neptonics.com. 